Well, I just want to say good morning again to everybody. We know we have people joining us online as well, on Facebook Live, perhaps YouTube, or our podcast. We want to give you a welcome as well. Thank you for being here today. Today's going to look a little bit different. Uh, perhaps uh, you're new to us. Typically, we like to go, uh, like we've been in the gospel according to Matthew a lot of the year, uh, but every once in a while, we kind of take a break from our series, which again is in Matthew. But today, uh, I thought we would talk about the end times a little bit. And uh, did, you, did you realize that about 30% of the Bible is prophetic in nature? So almost a third of your Bible is about prophecy. So it would be actually irresponsible for us to just ignore a third of scripture. How many believe that with me? Okay, so this is going to look a little bit different. It's going to sound a little sci-fi-ish. Um, I've got a lot of content we're going to pound through today, uh, but I do believe that the Spirit of God is here. He wants to touch you. He wants to minister to you. And if I happen to go too fast, which I understand sometimes I can, uh, just email me this week. I'll be happy to email you all my notes, all my scripture references, and all of that. Well, as we know, there are a lot of different theories and ideas as to what truth is, as to what real, solid, absolute truth is. And, and there's so many versions of ideas that it can cause confusion. And that's why we at our church, we look to the Word of God for our source, our guidebook of absolute truth. How many love the Word of God here today? Yes, we do. We love the Scripture. Uh, the Bible has everything we need to know about everything in life including what it's going to look like in the end times. Now, I know some people are afraid to talk about the end times or the apocalyptic scenes that we find in the book of Revelation, but we're going to do that here today. In fact, if you want to uh, prepare, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles or your uh, Bible apps to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelations chapter 13 here in just a moment. Uh, but as, upon studying for today, I came across a saying, uh, a quote if you will, by Mark Twain, who was a little nervous about the end of days. And uh, when remarking about the end of days, Mark Twain said this, when the end of days come, I want to be in West Virginia because they're always 20 years behind in everything. <laughs> I know I've got some mountaineers here today. He actually didn't say that. It was Kentucky, but I thought uh, West Virginia... Worked a little bit better for us here today. But as we begin today, I'm going to uh, show you this chart. We looked at this chart uh, on our series last year multiple times. We did an eight-week series on the end times uh, last year. If you want, you can go find that on our website, our podcast, and, and uh, learn about that. Uh, but we use this chart to kind of give you a working knowledge of where we are on the timeline of mankind. Now, there are some different thoughts and theories about when the rapture is going to take place. We believe that the rapture is going to happen. Then that's going to usher in uh, the tribulation. I did a whole sermon on the rapture last year. You can look that up. Uh, I don't make the case, but scripture makes the case that we uh, have a pre-tribulation rapture where God will rescue us. He will catch us up. He will snatch us up so we will not have to go through the seven-year tribulation. We are not there yet. We are in what's commonly called the church age or the age of grace. That's the time from when Jesus came, lived, died, lived again, then ascended back to heaven until he comes again. 
And we are living in, it's been about 2,000 years now that we are in the age of grace, the church age. But we believe at any time that the rapture could take place. I just gave you a brief picture of what the rapture is, but that's when there's going to be a sound from heaven. The trumpet's going to sound. Jesus is going to catch us up. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Uh, It's going to be a private event with Jesus in the middle of the air. He's not going to come all the way down at the rapture. Sometime after the rapture takes place, of course, the world is going to be in utter chaos. I mean, imagine hundreds of millions of people just gone like that. I don't know how they're going to explain that, but that's for them to figure out. But at some point after that, we're going to enter into the seven years of tribulation. And scripture kind of divides up the tribulation into two halves. There's the first three and a half years that's commonly referred to as the beginning of sorrow. So some of the judgment will begin to take place in that first three and a half years. Then there's going to be this event about halfway through that's called the desecration or the abomination of of desolation. Here it's called the desecration of the temple. We believe there's going to be a newly built temple in Jerusalem where there's going to be worship happening. And that's going to usher in the, the final three and a half years the great tribulation. Okay, as if the first three and a half years wasn't bad enough, the second set of three and a half years is going to be literally hell on earth. And at the end of that time, we are going to come back down with Jesus in a very public event now where he's going to come all the way down. Jesus is going to come back. That's the the second coming, the return of Christ, if you will. And when he comes, he's going to wipe the enemy out and he's going to usher in the millennial reign. The millennial reign is a thousand years here on this earth. Man has been trying to do it for about 6,000 years, but Jesus is going to come and set up his new kingdom. We're going to get to rule and reign and be leaders along with him at the millennial reign. And at the end of the millennial reign, he's going to kind of let the devil out for just a brief moment. And then at some point, he's going to kick him down to hell for all of eternity. There's going to be the final judgment, and then we're going to enter the new heavens and the new earth, okay? That's kind of a quick little uh, Reader's Digest version of what the end times timeline looks like. Again, I can email you this chart if you're curious, or you can take a picture of it. But we're going to be talking about today in Revelation 13, we're in this period of time right here. The years of tribulation is where we are going to be camping out today. Now, the apostle John, he wrote some very specific details about what the end times, the end of days is going to look like, what this tribulation period is going to be. And he wrote it in a book called Revelations. It's the last book in your Bible. Um, uh, last year we spent two weeks actually talking about a specific details of the tribulation. Today we are going to study Revelation 13, beginning with verse 11, and I think we're going to close out the chapter today. But John speaking, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up 
an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Can we pray for a moment? Lord, we just thank you for your presence that is here. We have felt you moving and touching lives. Lord, I thank you for your word. You have not left us alone to try to figure things out. You have left us the inspired, infallible word of God. Lord, I pray that it would speak to us today, change hearts, change lives. Lord, we thank you for the information that we are going to receive. But more than that, we thank you for the transformation that comes from serving and knowing you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in this passage of scripture that we just read, John references three things. He referenced the second beast. He referenced the image of the first beast. And then he referenced the mark of the beast. Okay, so we are gonna be talking about those three things here today. We're gonna unpack what those look like. And they all three of those things, the second beast, the image of the first beast, and the mark of the beast, all of those are connected to the Antichrist. So let's start with uh, what John called in verse 11, the second beast. Okay, another name for the second beast is the false prophet. The false prophet. Now, the false prophet is a religious spokesperson for the Antichrist. By the way, uh, the enemy likes to always bring counterfeit. There is going to be a counterfeit trinity. Okay, we all know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's a counterfeit trinity as well. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. It's a counterfeit trinity. Now, the first beast is actually the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will be a political leader during the tribulation, which again happens after the, after the rapture. The world will be in utter chaos. It will be desperate for someone to come in and speak peace and, and sign some treaties and establish a global government. Because there's going to be some crazy events that happens. You think, you think 2020 and 21 was crazy. It's going to be real crazy. And, and the, the world is going to be hungering for someone to lead them into a time of peace. Well, this Antichrist is going to be that hero who steps on the scene. And he's going to eradicate true Christianity from the earth. And he will demand to be worshipped. That is his end game. If you were here last week, we talked about Satan and his scheme and how from the beginning of time, he has always sought to be worshiped. So much, for, so much so that he rebelled against the father, didn't he? And so God kicked him out of heaven. And so ever since then, he's been rebelling against God and it is his desire to be worshiped 
more than anything. That is his end game. Let's look at verse 11 once again. Then I, this is again John speaking, prophetically inspired by the Holy Spirit. He had a vision. I saw a second beast, that's the false prophet, coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all authority of the first beast. The first beast is the Antichrist on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. So the false prophet, that's the second beast, appears on the scene as a religious leader. It looks like a lamb. Okay, that's what John said. He's gonna look like a lamb, but he actually promotes and speaks for the devil. He's a false prophet. Now, one of the characteristics of a false prophet is that they generally talk about good-sounding things that tickle the ear, if you will. So, for example, they'll talk about love. God loves you. He's all about love. By the way, that is true. He is love. But, they'll neg- but the false prophet, he'll neglect to talk about the need for holiness, living a holy life. He'll talk about happy things. There'll be a lot of happy talk with the false prophet, but, but nothing about sacrifice. See, false prophets always leave gaps and missing information in their doctrine and in their teachings. So this false prophet, he's going to be the spokesperson for the Antichrist. He's going to be the right-hand man of the Antichrist. In fact, he's going to lead everybody in worship to the Antichrist. He is a worldwide religious figure, and he will seek to silence and cancel and censor any contradictory teachings to his own. I'm guessing uh, other beliefs that might try to surface will be framed as dangerous misinformation or hate speech. Does that sound familiar to anybody here today in 21? Maybe you have heard this, but I just read recently that uh, the company Apple, at China's request, has taken away, has removed all Bible apps from their Chinese Apple store. You've heard this. Okay, you can no longer download a Bible app on your smart device in China. Censorship is right here, right now. A couple of uh, weeks ago, Pope Francis called on social media platforms to increase their level of censorship of content. He's wanting to silence free speech. He even invoked the name of God when imploring big tech giants to squelch free speech. You can look this up. Today, there are about 1.3 million Roman Catholics who recognize the Pope as their leader. There are about 600 million people on this earth who look to the Dalai Lama as their spiritual leader. Could the false prophet be one of these figures? I'm not here to tell you who that is. That's not my place or our place. Uh, That person, whoever it is, will have massive influence on the majority of Earth's population. And the Earth, the world, will will look to this false prophet for guidance, uh, social guidance, political guidance, spiritual guidance. And he will propagate this new religion. So the false prophet 
will propagate. He will, he will censor the Bible and, and true Christianity and promote this new religion pointing to the Antichrist. Now, this, this, uh, this false prophet will also be able to perform miracles. Let's read again verse 13. And it, talking about the false prophet, performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. So again, under the power of Satan, the false prophet will be able to perform miracles. Such, such miracles that people will be enamored by it. Like, whoa, that is breathtaking. Did you see what he did? That can only be explained with the supernatural. And because of those miracles, people will become gullible to his false teachings. Now remember, we believe that Christians will not be here on this earth. We will be caught up to meet Jesus in the rapture. We won't be here. But out when we go out of this earth, so does the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us, the church. So it's going to look a whole lot different on this earth without the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, which is right now holding back all hell from breaking loose right now, by the way. We will be gone. So that means discernment will be gone. Okay, so people are just going to fall hook, line, and sinker for what this false prophet has to say. Discernment is out the door, out the window. Most people will just blindly, blindly follow this false prophet's religion. And his religion, while false, will sound good. It will sound pleasing. There will be some buzzwords that will tickle the ears and seem to make sense. But please understand, it will be a perverted gospel that will deceive the masses. By the way, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 24. There's going to be, in the end times, he said, a lot of false prophets spreading false doctrine. He said, be leery about these false teachings and these false prophets. You and I need to be wise and discerning. We need to filter everything we see, everything we hear through the word of God. Okay, the Bible will eventually be dismissed as irrelevant, out of touch. It will be canceled, destroyed, removed from the app stores. So people will be hungry for a new and politically correct doctrine. Something that will tickle their ears, if you will. Now, the Apostle Paul prophesied and predicted in 2 Timothy that in the end of days, during the end times, people are going to have itching ears. Look at what he had to say to his younger brother in the faith. Chapter 4, verse 3, 2 Timothy. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, I don't want to hear about a holy God and living righteous, right? I want to live life for me. To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Look at what this same scripture has to say in the message translation. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy, they'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. Anybody see that this is happening right now? 
This is, a, this is another sign that we are living in the end times. We are seeing this played out right before us at unprecedented levels. And it's seeping into the church. It's seeping into mainline denominations. And I'm not here to, to call out uh, any, anyone in particular. That said, I read uh, from a friend. Uh, he's a Facebook friend. He's a pastor at an Assemblies of God church in Arizona. And he found in uh, the newspaper, this newspaper clipping that I'm about to read to you, he found this newspaper clipping uh, promoting um, this Methodist church. Now, again, I'm not here to throw shade on the Methodists. We have some Methodists here. Today. My dad grew up Methodist till he was about 12. Welcome. We love you, Methodists. Uh, John Wesley would be rolling over in his grave if he saw some of this, by the way. Just saying. So uh, this news article that this pastor posted, I asked him permission. Can, can I take a screenshot of that and share it with my congregation? He said, go ahead. So I'm gonna read you a news article from a church called The Fountains. You can look this up. This is a, a United Methodist Church in Arizona. So they're trying to get people to come to their church. That's what we're about to read right now. So a new sermon series is beginning at The Fountains, a United Methodist Church. According to a press release, the series will address a number of, quote, dangerous and unhelpful ideas Christians continue to hold on to, end quote. Messages will be presented Sundays at 9.30, both in person and gives the address or online. Uh, Pastor David will investigate and disarm the destructive power of the obsolete and harmful notions of hell, Satan, original sin, omnipotence, biblical inerrancy, and the need to be born again, according to the press release. This is an actual newspaper from an actual pastor from an actual church. And it's happening today, right now. Now, there are a lot of people who, in spite of what the Bible says, like this person, apparently, who do not believe in a literal hell. You remember back in the summer, we, we talked about hell. I read a report that 35% of Baptists, 54% of Presbyterians, 58% of Methodists, and 60% of Episcopalians do not believe in a literal hell. That's the latest numbers we have, and this is 15 years ago. So by now, it's quite possible that those numbers are even higher. Now, when I hear that there's no real hell, why would a loving God allow people to go to hell. That sounds really good. We'd like to believe that there is no hell. We'd like to hear that message. There's not really a hell. There's only heaven for you. Well, the false prophet will not only tell you what you want to hear, but will have some sensational revelations and miracles that he'll have people eating out of his hand. They'll just follow whatever he has to say. He has so much power that we just read that he'll be able to call fire down from heaven. Now, that specific miracle is especially misleading for Jews. Okay, so Jews uh, believe that the forerunner to the Messiah, the one that's going to usher in the Messiah, will be Elijah. Well, you got to check this story out in 1 Kings chapter 18. I don't have time to go into detail about it, but look it up later today. There's this prophet named Elijah who is dueling with about 450 prophets of Baal. 
kind of akin to a, a wild, wild west shootout, right? And uh, Elijah is able to call down fire from heaven, completely consuming the altar that he sets up. And then uh, the 450 prophets are, are, uh, are executed. Okay, well, the prophet Malachi tells us that an Elijah type of prophet is going to be a forerunner for the Messiah. Now, we in Christianity, we understand that that Elijah prophet is John the Baptist. John the Baptist came and prepared the way for the Messiah. Jewish people believe that Elijah is going to come down and, and bring fire down from heaven and usher in the Messiah. So by imitating Elijah and calling down fire, the false prophet will direct people, not just Jewish people, but all people from around the world, to worship the false Christ, the Antichrist, thinking that he is the true Messiah. Again, here we see the enemy is always pointing to the counterfeit, isn't he? Always pointing to the, the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. Okay? That's why we keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the real Messiah. But the false prophet will compel people to worship this Antichrist, the beast. So imagine a well-liked, well-respected religious leader telling you to worship someone as the Messiah. Hey, everybody, look to this guy. He is God. We should all worship him. Now, imagine this well-liked, well-respected person. Uh, he's done some miracles. Perhaps he's even come to a church service and performed miracles in a setting like this. On top of that, he's able to call down fire from heaven. And this same well-liked, well-respected religious leader is telling you that this is the Messiah. You should worship him. On those qualifications alone, most people will oblige. They'll be like, I think you're right, false prophet. If you can do all of that stuff and you're saying that is the, 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 the Messiah, the, yes, we should worship him. But for the few who don't fall for this, that refuse to worship the Antichrist, it will cost them their life. Revelation says that, that people will be beheaded for not worshiping the Antichrist. In the same way that, that Hitler had people executed and murdered and killed for not following his positions, his beliefs, so it will be in the end times. If you refuse to worship the Antichrist, it will cost you your life. Worship him or die. Now that seems... That seems kind of out there. I understand it at first listen, but, but look, it also sounds very similar to what's happening with Islamic terrorist groups right now. We are seeing Christians murdered and executed right now today in our world. So the false prophet will compel and force people to worship the Antichrist, but he won't stop there. He will also force them to worship the image of the Antichrist. Look again at Revelation 13, verse 14. Because of, the, because of the signs, it was given power to perform. Again, talking about the false prophet. It was uh, given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast 
who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Okay, so he's going to set up this idol, this image, if you will. Now, if you remember, when God gave the law to Moses, the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments were, don't have any other gods before me, and don't make any graven image. Don't set up any idols or image. Well, the false prophet comes along, and he mocks the law. He mocks God by setting up this other image. And in more of a mockery, some scholars say that this image, this idol, will be set up in the newly built temple in Jerusalem. It's what, uh, part of what the scripture refers to as the abomination of desolation. Now, this, this image will not be your run-of-the-mill statue. It will be unlike anything you've ever seen or witnessed before. Uh, some say that maybe it'll even be duplicated in, in cities around the world. This image will come alive. Again, it will be a counterfeit to the one true God. And the false prophet will breathe life. It will give breath. It will breathe life into the idol, into the image. Now remember, Genesis chapter 2 tells us that when God created man, he formed us out of the dust of the earth. And then what did he do? He breathed life into mankind. You and I have the breath of God in us. How cool is that? But again, in another mockery, the false prophet is going to breathe Satan's breath into the image and bring life to the image. This image will be able to talk. It will be able to interact. And it will be able to kill people who dare not worship it. In fact, some speculate with the, with the coming technology that we're seeing that it could be some sort of artificial intelligence. Anthony Lewandowski is the founder of the Church of Artificial Intelligence. Did you know that there was a Church of Artificial Intelligence? Also known as the Way of the Future. So Anthony, he's, con he's convinced that um, artificial intelligence will transform every aspect of human existence, disrupting employment and leisure, the economy, and yes, even religion. He said the following in an interview with Wired Magazine several years ago. What is going to be created, AI, artificial intelligence, will effectively be a god, it's not a God in the sense that it makes lightning or causes hurricanes, but if there is something a billion times smarter than the smartest human, what else are you going to call it? With the internet as its nervous system, the world's connected cell phones and sensors as its organs, and data centers as its brain, the whatever will hear everything see everything, and be everywhere at all times. The only rational word to describe that whatever is God. And the only way to influence a deity is through prayer and worship. 
Again, that's Anthony, the founder of the First Church of Artificial Intelligence. I encourage you to not attend his church, by the way, if you're given a special invitation. Now, I'm not here to say that the image is going to be uh, artificial intelligence or some sort of hologram. It very well could be. I'm not here to speculate or tell you that that for sure is what it is, but the whatever it is will have even more than just technology. It will be possessed by Satan himself. Are we doing okay today? You you probably didn't come to church thinking that you're going to hear about artificial intelligence. Okay, but I hope you're doing good. Uh, Again, if I'm going too fast, I'll send you all my notes. The false prophet points everyone to worship the Antichrist, the beast, and also the image of the beast, the Antichrist. Then after that, he's going to require everyone to receive what we commonly call the mark of the beast. Now, by the way, I don't think it's going to be called the mark of the beast. I don't think the beast is going to be called the beast or even the antichrist. Everybody will know he'll be exposed for what it is. The, the mark will be exposed for what it is. It'll be packaged pretty cleverly and, and, and uh, pleasing to the ears, I'm sure. But after he asks you, forces you to worship the beast and the image of the beast, then he's going to tell you to take the mark of the beast. Here we see verse 16. It, the false prophet, also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So again, 1,900 years ago, John prophesied that you would essentially not be able to function in society without this mark. You're not going to be able to buy or sell or work or any of that without this mark. Now, up until recently, the idea of a mark to buy or sell or to do business transactions, it it seemed like far out science fiction. But today we could see this being implemented with little to no resistance, couldn't we? Maybe you have heard of Amazon Pay by Palm. There is a new technology uh, for Amazon Go stores. I don't know if you've been in one of those stores yet, but they have them out there. That lets shoppers pay for their groceries and other items by, by scanning their palm. Right here on this picture, just scan your palm and out you go. You don't have to stop at the cash register. Don't have to pull out your wallet, your purse, or anything. Amazon has now the ability to verify your identity by your palm, similar to a facial, like a facial recognition type of technology. This is from an article last year. In the future, Amazon One hopes that this technology could not only be used for shopping, but as a replacement for tickets at music and sporting events, and as an alternative to other things like your office key card or driving your vehicle, allowing access with just a swipe of your hand. It goes on to say, it's more than just a payment technology, it's an identity technology and one that could give Amazon more reach into your life than ever before. That's from an article uh, in The Verge from October of last year. 
The technology is here right now today for all of your identity, all of your information, all of your money to be linked to a mark in your hand or on your forehead. Speaking of money, how about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? Those words are are, uh, newly adapted into our vernacular now. Paper money and coin money, they carry germs, don't you know? And by the way, you can counterfeit cash. So there's coming a day in the new one world order when cash will probably be made illegal and all money will be digital currency. All your money, you won't be able to to have cash anymore. Sorry, kids, when you ask money. My kids are always coming to me for my cash. (laughs) Won't be able to hand you out any cash. What what they won't tell you, by the way, is that by going to all digital, now they've got more access and more control to your money, by the way. The technology for the mark of the beast is already here. In addition to the technology which is upon us, The conditioning for the mark is here as well. Mask mandates, vaccine mandates are all around the world and it's conditioning people to one day receive the mark of the beast. Now, please hear me before tuning out. I am not here to provide an opinion on on, uh, the vaccines and vaccinations. That is not my place. I am not your doctor. I am your pastor. I'm not going to speak to that. I just don't have the the knowledge or the expertise. I will say that it is sad to see families and friends divided on this issue. It's ridiculous. That's another tactic of Satan, by the way, to divide us into these camps. Maskers, anti-maskers, vaxxers, anti-vaxxers. It's ridiculous. Can we just love one another? Thank you. (laughs) That said, so we are clear. I'm going to say this slowly and I'll probably repeat myself. The COVID-19 vaccine is not the mark of the beast. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. If it were the mark of a beast, we would have been screaming and yelling and say, don't take it. Don't do it. We would do everything we could to prevent you from taking the mark. However, The mandates are conditioning our world to eventually take the mark. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that school superintendents and politicians and people in government uh, even have uh, the mark of the beast on their radar. I'm not even suggesting that. That said, there are already in place restrictions for certain segments of the population. You get to do this, but ah, you, you don't get to do this yet. They're already segregating us now. International travel, uh, even travel here uh, in the United States to Hawaii, I believe, now requires a vaccine passport. In many places, restaurants, uh, gyms, other places of business, banks will not allow you into their building unless you show them that you have been vaccinated. And now governments in other parts of the world are passing legislation. France just passed legislation requiring proof of vaccination to participate in society. Again, I am not here to make claims on this vaccine. That is not what we do here. We give you the word of God. That vaccine is between you and the Lord and between you and your doctor. 
My greater point, again, is that we are being conditioned to one day take the mark. It's no longer a far-fetched idea that you would take this, this chip or tattoo or whatever it is on your hand or your forehead. In Italy, it's now required for every worker, private or public, and anyone entering a restaurant or store or place of business 12 years or older to present what is called a green pass. The green pass proves that you have received the latest round of shots. You can look this up right now, italygreenpass.com. It's right there. They are not hiding it. It's right there for you to find on your own. Green passes can be presented in paper format or in digital format. You just present it upon entering a restaurant or a store or a place of business, and uh, you, you give them the green pass. Well, well, the paper or the digital version was a little too inconvenient for uh, someone named Andrea Colonetta. This young man opted to have uh, the QR code tattooed on his arm. You can, you can look this up. He's got videos of him getting the tattoo, then taking that tattoo on his arm and presenting it to businesses and, and uh, restaurants and other places, which grants him access to where he needs to go. For him, it was just a matter of convenience. I don't want to have to worry about finding it on my phone or presenting some sort of paper as proof of vaccination. It was a matter of, of convenience for him, so it was all right there tattooed on his arm. This is what it's going to be like when the false prophet compels people to take the mark. People will want to take the mark. You know, growing up, when I would think about those scenes, you know, these uh, apocalyptic scenes, I mean, people are like, I don't know if I should or not. People are going to want to do it. Like this young man from Italy, this is just going to make my life so much easier, so much better. All I have to do is swipe my, my hand or scan my forehead, and I'm good to go. I can work, I can buy, I can sell, I can enter restaurants and other venues. It's going to be so convenient. Everybody is going to want to do it. I want to participate in society and in the marketplace, so yeah, I'll take it. That sounds very helpful. Thank you. That's what it's going to be like. As of this week, in the town of San Francisco, you heard, you must now show proof of vaccination to go anywhere indoors all the way down to age five. My youngest is eight. She'll be nine in a few weeks. If we were in San Francisco, I could not take Lacey to McDonald's without first showing my papers, not only my papers, but her papers, that we've both been given the shot, the vaccination. Now, most governments will tell you that the vaccine, it's optional, it's voluntary, not, not only a couple of countries have done the whole legislation thing, you don't have to have it. That's what they'll say. Now, that said, you won't be able to participate in certain things. You might lose your job, but we're not going to force you. They're letting OSHA or businesses or others do the heavy-handed part for us. That said, there is coming a day in the world, one world government in the tribulation when the mark, the green pass, whatever they're going to call it, it will not be optional. It will be get the pass Get the mark, or you won't be able to function in society. More than that, get the mark or die. 
And look, we've already, we're already there. In 2021, it's now psychologically and culturally acceptable to require a pass, a mark, papers, whatever it is, to enter a, a public space, to buy, to sell, whatever it might be. Now, for my generation and older generations, we have um, somewhat, I think, healthy skepticism of what we hear from government and politicians and the news media. However, the emerging generations are growing up to be conditioned to just believe whatever they're told. That government official said to do that, well, I trust him. My school teacher told me about that. Yes, okay, they're being conditioned to do whatever they are told to do. The news media told me to do that. Okay, that makes sense. No questions asked. No need to think for yourself. So when they say, get the mark, most people are just gonna get the mark. That's what it's gonna be like. Now, as we wrap up, there's two things I wanna uh, make note about this mark of the beast. Number one, the mark of the beast confirms your allegiance to the Antichrist. Taking the mark, the green pass, the chip, whatever it is, it's going to confirm your allegiance to the Antichrist. By the way, this again is a reason why we know that the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Okay? Those of you that have gotten vaccinated, did you pledge your allegiance to the Antichrist? No. Okay? The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. This mark, however, is going to symbolize your allegiance to and also the worship of the Antichrist. I speculate there are, there are probably some sort of uh, I agree type of statement. Like, read the terms and conditions, and then at the bottom, check, yes, I agree. Pledging your allegiance to the Antichrist. Now, again, I don't think he's going to call himself the Antichrist. He's not going to be called the beast. It's probably not going to be called the mark of the beast. It's probably not going to be 666 tattooed right on there. Okay? There's going to be terms that are used that will be more pleasing to the ears, a little more palatable, palatable. But when you take the mark, you'll know what you're doing. You won't just accidentally take it. You will be pledging your allegiance to the Antichrist. Look at what John says in Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. He goes on, they had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, implying that those who did take the mark did worship him, did worship the image, did take the mark. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So receiving the mark means that you pledge your worship and your allegiance to the Antichrist. Taking the mark also means this. It will confirm God's wrath upon your life. Taking the mark of the beast not only confirms your allegiance to the Antichrist, it confirms God's wrath. Look at what John has to say in Revelation 16, verse 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath. We talked about 
the, the sets of judgments. There's three sets of judgments that you will find in Revelation. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. Here, John is talking about the first of seven bowl judgments of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. So the pain and discomfort from getting this mark, this whatever implanted in you, will literally have people longing for death. Now the government, they'll probably try and explain it away. Oh, that's just, that's just some weird side effect. It'll go away. You know, we've all read those disclaimers when taking medicine. <laughs> Be careful, this medicine might cause some side effects. Fevers, chills, loss of smell, loss of taste, growth of a third arm, night sweats, whatever it might be. Well, a repercussion of taking the mark of the beast will result in severe, malignant, painful, festering sores that will not heal. You won't be able to recover from these sores. I'm guessing the disclaimer when you take this, this mark will not include Hey, by the way, getting this mark may result in painful sores, longing for death, and receiving God's judgment on your life. <laughs> He's going to play it up as something that you'll want to have. Taking the mark, however, just so you know, you will be inviting God's wrath upon you. Not just in that moment, but for all of eternity. Those who take the mark of the beast will eternally be separated from God. Now, I know that this message has looked a little bit different. Why are we telling you all of these things? This, this can feel a little overwhelming, uh, perhaps cause you a little uh, anxiety, like it's from an apocalyptic movie. We are not here to scare you. We are here to e equip you and inform you. We are telling you these things, one, because the Bible talks about end times. Okay, we want to read all of God's word. He has equipped us and informed us of what it's going to look like at the end of days. So we want to know. We want to know what God has to say about the times in which we are living. Secondly, I'm sharing this with you because you have loved ones who are far from God. You have friends. You have family members. You have coworkers. You have, you have neighbors who if they don't make a decision to follow Jesus, they're going to be stuck here during the tribulation and run the risk of taking the mark of the beast and being eternally separated from God. Friends, we need to live with an urgency. If you have a loved one who is far from God, you can't stay silent. Why would you? You have the cure. We want to let people know. And then, then thirdly, well, the reason why we're telling, if by some chance you are left behind, we don't want you to take the mark. Okay? Do not take the mark. It will seal your fate to suffer God's wrath and be eternally separated from him. However, if you're living for Jesus, you're not going to be here for any of that stuff that we just read. Okay, we are going to be celebrating with Jesus in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, it's good news, everybody. 
First Thessalonians chapter one tells us that Jesus has come to rescue us from the wrath. You know, there's this whole debate on pre-trib and post-trib and all of that. We firmly believe that scripture makes the claim that we will not be here during the tribulation. If by some chance we are, don't take the mark, okay? Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter five, Paul says this, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has appointed you and I, not for wrath, but for salvation. He didn't create hell for us. He created hell for Satan and his legion of demons. And so for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for those of us who are following Jesus, we have made the decision to follow Jesus. That means we don't even have to make the decision whether or not to take the mark. We're not gonna be here. We're not gonna be put in that position whether or not we should take the mark because we're gonna be with Jesus in heaven. Taking the mark pledges your allegiance to the Antichrist, to the beast. Following and trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior pledges your allegiance to God. That's what we want to do. We want to pledge our allegiance to God. Following him, following Jesus ensures that we are eternally with the Lord. Our destiny is heaven with Jesus forever. Now, while here on this earth, he said there's going to be hard times, didn't he? You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have trials. You're going to have temptations. You're even going to have tribulation, lowercase t, tribulation. But he said, take heart because I've overcome the world. And he is with us. We're still going to face troubles and trials, but this world is not our home. Heaven is our home. This is just a, a temporary place. Our eternal home is eternal life with Jesus Christ. So while we're here, we want to be working. We want to be watching. We want to be waiting for the return of the Lord. Amen, everybody. Amen. Praise God. I'm just going to invite you right there in your seat to bow your heads, close your eyes. I know this message has looked a little bit different. Again, like last week, I did not share it to, to scare you, but just to remind you that the return of the Lord is imminent. That means it could happen at any moment. As we look at the prophecies of the Bible, there's nothing left to prevent Jesus from coming back. Today, the father could tap Jesus on the shoulder and say, hey, go get your bride. Go get my children. It's time to bring them home. It could happen today. It could happen this year. It could happen next year. It might happen in 20 years or more. I don't know the day or the hour. No one does. No one does. So when people try to speculate and they ask me, hey, tell me about the end times. Do you know when it's going to happen? This is what we say around here. We are going to plan as if he's coming back in a long time. But you need to live as if he's coming back today. Because he could. He could come back today. And by the way, you're not promised your next breath. Scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So unless we're here for the rapture, you and I are going to suffer death. So how is your soul? Are you right with the Lord? If Jesus were to come back today, do you know if you'd be left behind? Or if you would meet him in the air and be resurrected into heaven. 
If you're not quite sure, we want you to leave today with assurance that you are following Jesus. You might say, well, how do I know? I mean, I I attend church. I think I'm a good person. Uh, I I went to church as a young person. I may have even been sprinkled or baptized as a kid. How do I know? Listen, Jesus is coming back for his bride. Scripture refers to the church as his bride. The bride is looking forward to her wedding. She's so excited, looking for the return, looking for her wedding day. We, the church, need to be looking forward to our Savior, Jesus, coming and rescuing us. So if you're not quite sure, that's how you can... Are you living a passionate, on-fire life for Jesus? Or are you just kind of coming to church here and there? Well, I said a prayer 10, 20 years ago. I should be good, right? No, he's looking for people who are actively pursuing him today with passion. And if you want to make sure that you're right with the Lord, we want to give you an opportunity right now to make him the Lord of your life. So no one's looking around. I'm just going to ask you right there in your seat. If you want to know that you know that you're on your way to heaven, that if Jesus were to return today, you'd meet him. Would you just raise your hand and hold it there for a moment as I look around? Thank you. Yes. Yes. Praise God. Many, many hands. Thank you, Lord. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say a prayer, inviting Jesus into our heart, repenting of our sins. But please understand that it's not just the prayer that gets you to heaven. Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, quote this crafty worded prayer and then you're good. He said, follow me. That means we need to have an active relationship with the Lord. He's not looking for people who are passive about him. Well, I believe in the Lord. He's looking for people who are full on. So we're going to say a prayer. You're going to invite him to be the Lord of your life. And then that's going to start a new spiritual journey. All right. So everybody, let's out loud pray this prayer together as we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our life. Come on, let's say it out loud and boldly. Everybody say, dear Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've done life my own way. Today, I repent of my sin. I thank you for dying on the cross and rising again for my sin, for my salvation, for my redemption. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart. I repent of my sin. I walk away from my old life. And from this day forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you said that prayer, you are born again. Come on, everybody. Let's stand up together. As you stand, I'm going to invite our prayer team members forward. We're going to sing here in just a moment. If you need prayer for anything, maybe you just invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You need a Bible. They've got a Bible for you. They want to pray for you. They want to help you on your spiritual journey. So uh, if you need prayer for anything, let these men and women pray for you. But before we go, can we sing this now? I have decided.